The following podcast contains spoilers and words like and gosh Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Hello, welcome to We Watched a Thing, um, where we watched a thing at the movies. Yes, yes we did. <laughs> we went to a cinema, Billy. Yeah, how was the experience for you? Was this your first time back in the cinema? Second time back, uh, a few days ago, I got to a retro screening of Heat, which was just the fucking best. Yeah, that, that would have been pretty great. Yeah, it was nice being back in the cinema. My wife and I did this one in, in gold class. So, you know, we got, got some drinks, got some got some chicken tendies going. It was it was a good night. It was a good night. Yeah, nice one. <laughs> it does feel good to be back. I, I'm, you know, just a shout out to all of our friends all around the world where you still can't get to the movies. We hope that you're all doing okay. And um, just stay safe. Stay safe. A movie's not worth your life. No. Maybe for some film bros, a Christopher Nolan film comes close, but it's still not <laughs> worth your life. That's right. Today we are, as a special episode, talking about Tenet, of which we were lucky enough to get to advanced screenings of this weekend. The film that was, quote unquote, going to save the cinema industry. Is it worth risking your life for? Let's get into it now. Tenet is a 2020 spy film written and directed by Christopher Nolan, who produced it with Emma Thomas, and it stars John David Washington, Robert Pattinson, Elizabeth Debicki, Dimple Capita, Michael Caine, and Kenneth Branagh. And what is it about, Tove? Uh, it's about, um, I suspect, this is, <laughs> no, this is just an idea. This yep. is just an idea. Yep. I think it's a, a rescue mission that Christopher Nolan did from a discarded Pierce Brosnan era Bond film yep. that he thought just badly needed to see the light of day. And actually watching the film, I'd never had this thought before, but watching this film, I was like, I reckon I'd be on board with a Robert Pattinson Bond. I could see that. Can you be Batman and Bond at the same time? I think you can. I think just you can. wield all the cinematic power. <laughs> I mean, there was that moment in time where where Chris Pratt was heading a, a, a huge number of franchises, and there was talk of him for Indiana Jones at the same time as well. I, I could I could see our Pats doing all that. Watching this too, it really badly made me want a a, a remake of Brendan Fraser's Mummy with our Pats in the lead because I think he can really pull off that that goofy charm that Brendan Fraser had as well. I think our Pats can pull. Oh, I'm 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 a big fan. I think he's pretty great, actually. Were you about to say you think he can pull anything off? Because I was then going to make a joke about how you'd like him to pull you off. <laughs> yeah, and then I was just decided <laughs> I, I knew where that line would go and, and, and didn't, didn't want to give you, you the opportunity. Because you didn't and want the, the effort of having to cut that out. <laughs> you just grabbed the steering wheel and took us there anyway. <laughs> kind of like Good how you you'd like Arpads to grab you, right? <laughs> <sighs> it's just, you know, it's that joke you know is coming and there's nothing you can do. Just got to stand there and let it hit you. <laughs> like how you want Arpats to hit you. <laughs> what a flog. Um, all right. So, let's get straight into it. Firstly, I'd just like to say that fans of Nolan won't be disappointed at all, I don't think. If if you are a Nolan fan, you will like this movie. I, I, would, I would go so far as to say that this is the most Nolan that Nolan has ever Nolaned. What are your thoughts on that statement? To a degree, I certainly agree. Um, and you're, I think you're talking about Nolan fans that have a certain fervour for the filmmaker <laughs> that 
that I don't have. I really yep. like Chris Nolan films. Yeah. I think he is an exceptionally gifted filmmaker. I don't drink from the Nolan fountain of Kool-Aid, though, as, quite frankly, a lot of people do. I'm right there with you. I have enjoyed many of Nolan's work. I have also um, found some of them to be flawed and and not necessarily to my taste. Um, and I think that's kind of where I sit with this. And when I say it's the most Nolan ever, I, I think it it is him at his best and at his worst. It's what he does really, really well is highlighted here. And I think his flaws are a little bit overly highlighted in this film as well, for me at least. Yeah, like one one sweeping generalisation you could make about Nolan films is that the guy does spectacle incredibly well. Yeah. He's yeah. not the most gifted at making you care about people. And that I think that absolutely rings true for this film. Yeah. And I think for me, I, I really think that Nolan should maybe think about not writing a film because I think what he does incredibly well, as you say, is coming up with high concept action set pieces. And, and he's really, really good at executing these. And he's really good at coming up with these big set pieces. But for me, what doesn't work is what's in between all that. What ties those set pieces together? What does the film actually have to say? And most importantly for me, really high highlighted in this film is dialogue. I don't think the dialogue in this film- I don't think there's a single line in this film that's spoken that isn't exposition. Like, everything is purely there to explain the story, not even necessarily to move it forward. Like, there's a lot of lines that are just there explaining what is happening as it is happening. And there's a reason that John David Washington's character doesn't even have a name, because it's completely irrelevant. He's not a character. He is just a protagonist. And for me, this misses some actual storytelling. Yeah, and it's- like, I largely agree with that. And it's- it's- I find it strange that for a guy who, in his last film, like, so much of that is just this mad flex of, I don't even need dialogue. Watch me just tell a story with the camera. Yeah. Like, the guy can do it and do it. Like, I think Dunkirk is a borderline masterpiece. I think it is a phenomenal piece of work. And so, like, that's his last film. We know he can do it. And then we get back to this, where it's like, everyone is- um, What's what's Juno's name again? Ellen Page. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's like everyone is Ellen Page's character from Inception. Yeah. And just asking questions so that somebody can just explain what's going on. And I was like, but we know that you can show us. Yeah. And I swear, like, there's times where I'm just like, wow, there's- Because, like, really talented cast. And it's like, if these people can't make this dialogue work- Yes. Then, then this dialogue doesn't totally work. Agreed. And and so, let's get on to the cast. I think John David Washington and R. Pats in particular are fantastic. R. Pats is so great in this film. I wish there was more R. Pats in it. I also really liked Aaron Taylor Johnson's screen presence. But to me, that's the thing. Any acting that I liked in this film really does come down to the actor's screen presence and that alone. Because I don't think they- I don't think there's a single character in this film that is actually written as a character with a distinct point of view or distinct motives or- any kind of identifying, you know, like if you were to just read me a line from this script and say, which character says this, I would not be able to tell you because as I said, it's all just exposition. So props to the actors for at least making me like them. But as you say, I still don't necessarily care about them. Yeah. Like Taylor Johnson's Jason Statham impression. Not bad. Um, <laughs> I'll give it a pass. Um, 
agree with like, the two leads really engaging. Um, yeah. Hearing, particularly when, when Washington said nuclear holocaust and it just sounded, it was like, if you close your eyes, uh, that's a line that his old man says in Crimson Tide. <laughs> Here we are back to Crimson Tide. Coming, coming out of Washington's mouth. It sounds exactly the same. And I was just like, <laughs> woo, I'm having fun. Um, <laughs> I dug that. Um, Branner going full Bond villain was, you know, it's fun enough. Yeah. Um, not exactly, you know, it's not stretching the limits of Branner's talents, but um, whatever, he got paid. <laughs> yeah. The biggest character problem for me, and it's probably the biggest plot problem for me as well, is that a bunch of this story hinges on a deep attachment that Washington's protagonist has for the leading lady, played by yeah. Elizabeth Debicki. Yep. And- it's, I, I don't know at what point I was supposed to buy that in the five minutes he's known this woman, mm-hmm. that a guy who was willing to just bite down on a cyanide pill to end his own life to save a mission was then not willing to let someone else die to avoid, as it's been put to him, World War Three. Yeah. Yeah. What? Like, what? I agree completely, and I'm really glad that you're the one who brought up Elizabeth Debicki because I didn't want to be the one to do it because there's a history on the show of you accusing me of not liking her purely because she's tall. That's not well, the case. Only because, only because that's what you said. No, I didn't. I didn't. I just said she looked out of place in that film because she was too tall. <laughs> that's that's not a slight on her. She is very tall. <laughs> um, not given a chance to be as tall in this film. I feel like she sits down a lot. <laughs> but anyway- I I agree with you completely. Her, she's the only one that Nolan tries to give any emotional weight to, but it just comes off as a series of I I need to get my child back. Just that complete trope that is, and I don't feel the emotion behind it. It's just a line that she says about a million times. Um, but I agree with you. I didn't get the connection between her and and John David Washington. And to that point, I actually didn't really get the motivation from anybody. Kenneth Branagh's motivation is kind of explained towards the end and and as the villain that's really all you get as for yeah, the good you guys you kind of just be like oh well yeah sure cuz he's nuts yeah for the good guys though i guess the quote unquote motivation as you said is to stop world war 3 but that's not what most of the film really tends to be about action wise so as for the plot itself let's let's kind of get into it here Let's talk about inversion. I kind of, I I actually like and applaud the idea. And, you know, time travel is something that's been done a lot of times. I like that it's taken a different approach here, at least stylistically. I, I quite enjoy the concept of it. But for me, in what is really a blockbuster action film, I actually don't think that it works for action scenes. I think that the act of people moving backwards looks gimmicky and cheap in a movie where the rest of it is so lavish. Like, you know, you think of the the plane explosion scene. Nolan bought a real 747 because he was like, oh, it's it's, it's going to look better. Instead of going CG, he, he said that it was, you know, just more efficient. <laughs> um, everything in this movie looks incredible. But the inversion itself, like people moving backwards is such a cheap effect that for the action scenes- I just think it loses me when there's people involved. Like, you think of the scuffle in the warehouse where John David Washington is fighting what you later find out to be himself, which I don't think is that cleverly disguised. I don't think that scene really has the weight that it's supposed to. Firstly, because 
backwards movement on a person looks silly. But also when you see the path of the bullets before they happen, for me, the tension was lost because, well, you know, everything's going to be <laughs> Just fine. don't be in the way. That's right. For me, what really worked was when objects were involved. And I think the car chase scene in particular was by far the best use of the inversion, you know, idea. And I think that was the best action scene in the film. I agree with you that it largely works better with objects than people. Although I actually, I like the warehouse fight. Right. Um, okay. With That's actually the one scene where I thought it worked best. Interesting. Was, yeah. James Bond versus Coldplay film clip. Uh, that one <laughs> I thought worked pretty well. Um, yeah. But in general, yeah, it a bunch of the time it kind of, because it draws attention to itself. Yeah. That winds up being what I'm looking at. Yeah, I agree. Not, yeah. Not okay, what's actually playing out here? When um so when it's little things, when it's just him early on playing with a bullet and getting over very quickly <laughs> the fact that this can happen in <laughs> yeah. the world. Yeah. Um deals with it like a champ. Just yeah. like, okay, what's next? Um that stuff I think that works. That's cool. Yeah. Um and I'm into it. As it goes up in scale, yes, and as it affects humans. It becomes less and less effective for me. Yeah. No, I agree. Yep. But with the action, like, yeah, God bless Nolan for just being like, I'm going to crash a fucking plane. This is going to be, this is good because you're like, you're watching that scene and you can tell. Yeah. You can tell that's a real plane. Oh, and yeah. You can't. Yeah. Of course it adds to the stakes and the quality of that sequence. Yeah. So, the look of the film itself, we're back to Hoyt Van Hoytema again, who has collaborated with Nolan a bunch of times. The look of the film itself is great. I think that this is shot really, really nicely, as you would expect for a film with this budget, with this cinematographer, with this director. I think it looks absolutely beautiful. I think the visual effects there are, you know, as you say, there's some great practical shots here, like the plane. There's a bunch of VFX in here as well, done by Dean Egg, and that all ties together really well as well. As I said, I don't personally like the look of particularly people moving backwards. And I find that the the big climactic action sequence, the, the kind of war scene, for me just ended up looking really cheap because it- I, I don't know. There's something about reversed footage that just has that look where it's like, okay, sure, I might not be able to shoot a landmine going off, but anybody can reverse a shot. It's not- do you know what I mean? It's not like it's a tricky look to pull off. So, it does end up coming off a little bit kind of college filmy. There's a couple of things about the climactic fight for me. One is that there's just so much going on in two different directions that yeah. personally, like, and if you could completely follow it, good for you. Like, you're doing better than me. I, on my one viewing of it, like, I can't take in everything that's going on and keep no. track of who's yep. meant to be doing what with people moving in different directions through the fucking continuum so already i'm like i pretty early on in that i gave up on trying to track exactly what's happening and just went yeah. all right i'm just gonna watch some action hit the screen kind of as i would like in a marvel movie absolutely uh just like all right you know hopefully this is fun rather than like i wasn't gripped no oh, absolutely not i was bored to be honest and then the other thing is that the, like you touched on it, the quality of the image in this film, and this is absolutely no surprise, is sensational. There's no way, like these two, Nolan and Hoyter, don't come together and make a crappy image. It's just not going to happen. The problem for me is that so much of the action sequences are shot 
with the aperture of the lens, if not wide open, pretty close too. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay, this is great that, yeah, I know that the person I'm following right now is in focus, but nothing else is. And in an action sequence, I want that reference of environment around the yes. person. Yeah. Um, which a lot of the time in the film, you're not given. Yeah. And like, yeah, it looks shit hot, but I'm like, okay, but where is this guy? Yeah. I was going to come to that. I think for me, there are two big issues with the production. And I think the editing is not very strong in this film. Nolan has switched to a different editor for this film. And, and I don't know if that's intentional, but I don't think that it is- everything is as clear as it as it could be. I don't think that it it's structurally very well put together. And and maybe part of that is maybe it's meant to be confusing. I think the thing for me, the film itself is really, for the most part, rather straightforward. I didn't find myself confused so much as I did uh, the you're right, the one big confusion I had was the the final big action scene. Where even though we literally have the, the scene starts with Aaron Taylor Johnson's character giving a tactical briefing at a whiteboard, explaining everything. And actually, even in that scene, I'd all kind of already gone. Same. Okay, yeah, I'm same. not going to bother trying to follow this. Same, because <laughs> even is- even though we start with that, I had no idea what our characters were doing. Apart from Elizabeth Debicki, I had no idea what our main guys were doing. Why were they where they are? What, what were they actually even trying to achieve? I had no idea in that scene. <laughs> I mean, at least her fi- her final kind of confrontation scene that intercuts with that scene when it's just where it's just her and Brenner. Yeah, that scene I think plays out pretty well. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't care enough. No, no, absolutely. Yep, I agree with you. But that one's that one's really clear. We know that other her is off that way. She'll be coming back. Um, the way that she dumps him off the like pre greases the floor and everything is actually really cool. Yeah. The the sound the sound effect. Of him getting pwned on the hull of the ship was actually fucking great. Yeah, yep. Um, un- but unfortunately, I just didn't care that much. Yeah, same. I'd love to get to the sound if we can, which you just brought up. Um, uh, how did you find the mix for you? Did you have trouble hearing dialogue over the extremely loud um, score and sound effects? Uh, no, no, I didn't in my screening. Neither did I. And th- this is this is a, a complaint that I've seen uh, like a huge amount online. Oh, really? The main complaint I've seen about the production of the film is the mix, and apparently it's a problem that most people have had with many Nolan films. I didn't have the problem. I was able to hear every line of dialogue just about, I think. Weird. But on the score itself, I wasn't a huge fan. It's obviously, you know, going very much for the, the Hans Zimmer sound, you would be easily forgiven for assuming that this score was done by Zimmer. Even like first sequence, the first bit of score you hear, I think sounds, it sounds Zimmery in that kind of Dunkirk continuously raising, but not yes. going anywhere weird tone thing. But yes. It's, and I, I don't know if this is the case. It sounds like music being played in reverse. Yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, nice tie in. Good for you. Um, that sounded pretty cool. Ludwig Göransson did the score for this, and I do think channeling his best Zimmer, with it is that kind of droning, as you say, almost unmusical, which I think is what sounds backwards about it. You know, your brain kind of goes, if I played this the other way around, I reckon I might pick up a melody, which I'm not doing at the moment. And I think, as you say, that that's it's an interesting choice. For me, the problem with it is it's, it's continuity. I can't think of a single scene in this film that doesn't have score underneath it. 
which can work really well. For this, by the end, because it is so unmusical, I really found myself kind of just wanting to claw my ears out because I, I don't think a lot of it actually fits the action so much. And there are times where it works really well. There are times where the only tension I'm feeling is because of the score and it is adding that kind of drive. But I think overall for me, I, I wasn't a huge fan of the score in this film. Uh, like that the film mentions the city of Trondheim. Um, went to Trondheim a couple of years ago. Delightful place. Love to go back. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> um, lo- love the setting, like location wise, love the settings for the whole film. Oh, yeah, it's great. And it really was shot all over the world too. Like, in, And you can feel that, I think. This feels like an international spy film. And I think that to me is where it's at its strongest. I, I really, not only could I see Arpad's you know, giving Bond a turn, I could see Nolan directing a Bond film really, really well. Um, because the parts that are just kind of spy thriller in this film really, really work for me. What doesn't work is when it gets really kind of convoluted into this sci-fi mess, which a lot of the time doesn't play by its own rules, which is, that's that's where I kind of get a bit over it. But I think the spy thriller stuff is is really actually very well directed and, and has a, a good sense of fun to it, I think. Pattinson's in almost the, you know, the, you, you couldn't substitute one for the other, but it is it is it is kind of the, the Tom Hardy in Inception kind of yes. role, which to this day remains my favourite Tom Hardy role. I absolutely adore him in Inception. Yeah, I really do think Pattinson is a delight in this film, um, right up until like his last scene where I'm just like, ugh, whatever. But that's kind of just, again, the film... As soon as the film wants me to care about a human, uh, you know, talking peak Nolan here. Yeah. As soon yeah. as it wants me to care about a person. Yeah. Nah, not really. <laughs> um, can I ask you about the oxygen masks? <laughs> sure. Good concept in that from a production design point of view, it's like, okay, now I know which way through time this guy's going. Part of me is like, thank God they didn't try and over-explain it because what possible good ex- explanation could there be for it? Yeah. And, and part of me is like, that's fucking ridiculous. It, look, I, I, I actually kind of love conceptually this idea that because you are inverted, you're breathing inverted and that, that doesn't- You know, I actually- I like the idea of that. The problem for me is that the movie doesn't follow its own rules and it's so inconsistent. Can you think of really- a single scene where inverted Elizabeth Debicki wears a mask. <laughs> um, hmm. Okay, yeah, that's good. Okay, okay, because she's in, you know, th- there's times where they're in a, an entire room where, yeah. okay, they're in this room so they don't need the mask. That's fine. So, why doesn't she need a mask when she's on the ship at the end? Exactly. She doesn't. And that is a long, long sequence. That that takes place She's not holding hours. her breath that whole time. Absolutely Slightly. not. She's talking. She's talking for a lot of it. <laughs> There's a line early on in this film spoken by, there are only three females in the film. None of them interact. None of them have any character at all. Weird for a Nolan film. Yes. Science lady <laughs> at the oh, start. Yes. I believe she actually says to John David Washington, don't think about this too much. And she is as much talking to the audience as she is to him. Oh, because absolutely. Because this movie, you can't think about it too much. This, And I know that there are going to be Nolan fans out there who slam me for this and say, no, you just didn't understand it. There's a lot about this movie that just straight up doesn't work if you try pick at it. And The Masks, for me, is one of them. On the kind of Bond train, could you see- I mean, it it, it 
ends a little openly, I guess. Could you see this? Because rumour was this was the beginning of a trilogy for Nolan. Could you see Jeez, that? I really hope it's not. I hope it's not too, but could you actually see that? Could you see where no. this might go next? No. No, same. Because uh, there's it's always- done, isn't it? Washington's going off to be John Connor. Yeah, and- yeah. But but we know. You're absolutely right. We know. Yeah, I, I really hope we don't get a sequel to this. And I think the thing for me is- Maybe in the sequel, he actually gets an emotional, a believable emotional connection to Dubicki's character. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I need to see my kid. <laughs> God, she said that so many times, mate. <laughs> oh, no, God, poor woman. <laughs> um, like, I, because I would sign on to a Nolan film without having read the script. Oh, I, I mean, then, why wouldn't you? And then yeah. if that happens and you then get it, and you just like every second line is, I need to see my son. And she's like, really? Yeah. <laughs> um. I think the thing for me is that, and this is going to sound crazy because Nolan is known for his originality. I think we're at the point now where almost nothing about this movie feels original to me because it is so Nolan. You know, it's like we reached that point with Shyamalan where, you know, you think of The Sixth Sense and then Unbreakable and you're like, wow, this this guy is doing some some brave and bold and interesting things. And then he became so Shyamalan'd up himself that it it almost became a parody. And that is sadly where I kind of feel like this film feels like it's ba- it's a spiritual sequel to say Inception to me. It's it's I think it's a lot more straightforward than that. But I almost felt like yeah okay this feels like a Nolan movie. It didn't it didn't feel original in its execution or in its. D- did you feel the same thing or am I just being a bit overly harsh? You might be being overly harsh. Like Inception is several films ago this and ten years ago at this point. Yeah. And, you know, his last film dealt with nothing fantastical. It was very much rooted in reality. Yeah. So, I'm if, if he's going to do this once every 10 years, I'm fine with it. Yeah. I just sadly to me, I, I, didn't, I didn't really feel that originality in the film. It, it felt, it just felt like a bit of a, a, a blockbuster, an action blockbuster to me when I think what you're expecting is to be wowed. And, and I just didn't really feel that. Do you think- this is the film to save cinemas. We've seen that reviews, I mean, it's early days. The embargo just lifted, you know, a mere 24 hours ago. We've seen that reviews have been middling at this point, positive to middling, like not, not, I don't think, I haven't seen any scathing reviews, mostly just kind of the same things we've brought up. Do you think that in a non-COVID world, this would have performed as hoped? Like this is a really, really expensive film entirely dependent on how closely does word of mouth catch up with people seeing it yeah yeah. like you said the the reception to this film and i think we're probably both in this boat as well is lukewarm yeah i'm by no means would i tell anyone not to see the film but you know to your point if this is what you're hinging your hopes on rescuing the theater industry and that's not the film's fault the film was always meant to come out when it was meant to come out, and then, of course, 2020 happened. So, yeah, none of this is the film's fault. And there's probably, we've probably all to some degree subconsciously placed an extra layer of expectation on this film, which is not the film's fault. Well, actually, I'm going to go ahead and say it is. I don't know if 
if we subconsciously have done this, Christopher Nolan himself has done this. He is the one who has touted this film as being the one to save the cinema industry. He's the one who insisted on the studio, you know, continuing to set release dates because he wanted it to be this big release because he kind of did a little bit of the Chris Martin. You know, when Chris Martin from Coldplay writes a song and he comes out and he goes, this is the greatest song that's ever been written. I feel like Nolan has done a little bit of that with this film. He's the one who's raised our expectations. Okay. I I never read or heard Nolan say, like, obviously I'm aware of Nolan saying, no, this is not going to premium VOD my movies are theatrical movies, and I love him for that, actually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the movie just carrying this extra weight, which for me, it doesn't- it, it can't bear. Yeah. Because it's not The Godfather. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I guess on the recommendation front, here's, here's my take. Do I recommend this film? Sure, particularly to Nolan fans. Like, let's face it, there's a subset of people who know they're going to see this film. They don't, they don't care what we say. If you're like, if you want to see this film, you're going to see this film. If you're in a part of the world where it's maybe not absolutely safe to go to a cinema yet, my recommendation is that you can, you can wait for this one. I, I personally didn't feel like the cinema experience added enough to this film if, if it's going to cause danger to your life. <laughs> that's, that, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's just my quietly. Take. It's, it's, a, it's a really, it, honestly, it's a soft recommend for me. There are certain people, like I said, Nolan fans, I would say, yep, you're going to see this movie. For the most part, I wouldn't say I'm strongly recommending this, though. I think it's fine. I think it's in the lower half of Nolan's filmography, and it's fine. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to say, you know what's grown on me more and more is Interstellar. Like, I actually think that movie is a is a little bit um, underrated. And I guess not underrated because that one is much more divisive. People seem to either really, really love or really, really hate this film. It's less of the kind of middling. Um, but, yeah, that's really grown on me. I think that's right up there for me in terms of Nolan. It's Dunkirk for me that just grows in my estimation. Yeah. Look, and I, I got to say, that's the thing that I love about Nolan is that he- he does make bold, interesting choices, and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. And it's it's very subjective because for me, I, I didn't personally love Dunkirk. So, more power to him, though. And I agree with you. I Like, props to him for not letting this go to VOD. Like, a- as a creative, you should have more of a say in how things happen when it's related to your work. So, got him for sticking by it. All right. So, how are you scoring it then? I'm a six out of ten. I had a, I had a pretty good time in the cinema. Um, I don't think it's bad. It's got a bunch of Nolan issues, and then it's got some just straight up narrative film issues. Yeah, but not enough to make me dislike it. No, I agree. I'm a five out of ten. I kind of think this film is fine. To me, you brought up the MCU before, and that's kind of where this sits for me. This it, it just it's it's an action blockbuster. It's a bit of fun, but it's not it's not brilliant. It's it's fine. It kind of bums me out because, like, the, the level of execution and thought that must have gone into so many of those scenes, which I'm then just like, eh, not really doing it for me. That's a bummer for the amount of people that made it happen. That's that's my issue with it, too, is I agree with you. The execution can be so great, but it is brought down by a really, really bogged exposition script with very unfleshed out character. Like, there's there are too many flaws to me to get it above the- the very middling five. I wish I could give this a six or higher because production-wise, there are some really amazing things about it. But as far as, and you you said it, narrative storytelling issues, it just brings it down too far for me. That um, That's the end of that. 
thank you to all the one-time listeners who are Nolan fans who will never come back. Yes, we apologise. It, it was good to have you for one week. <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchedathing. If you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchedathing and we will maybe catch you next week unless you're a Nolan fan. <laughs> <laughs>